Uh, let me pray and we'll get into this passage. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you want us to know you and I pray uh, this day that you would uh, take this, your word, and bring it home to our hearts in such a way that, um, uh, that we would be more content in knowing your son, uh, that we would find uh, him to be enough, uh, the surpass- that we would know increasingly the surpassing worth of knowing him, uh, and that in doing so you would uh, free us to be generous in every way. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, so on the uh, April the 15th, 1911, uh, a journalist uh, for the Pittsburgh Press wrote an article called The Epidemic of Discontent. Uh, this is what he said in the article. Uh, he said, The commonplace fact is that nearly everyone is more or less dissatisfied with their lot in life. Uh, they jealously think that the other fellow has the best of it. Uh, there's no particular reason for this except that we are built that way. And we think that, that if a certain event were to come to pass, if some rare good fortune should befall us, our stock of happiness would be permanently increased. But the chances are it would not. Because after a time, uh, we would find life wearing essentially the same tints as before. That's the crux of his article, The Epidemic of Discontent. I wonder if you are a victim of this epidemic. Uh, I reckon it's only gotten worse uh, in the last hundred years or so since he wrote that article. You know, we, we often say to ourselves, if only I had this, if I had uh, that little bit more money or could uh, find a husband or wife that I really longed for or could move cities or, or have children or, or change jobs or, or I could shake this chronic illness, whether, whether it be physical or, or emotional, uh, then I'd be content. I'd be satisfied. Uh, but usually it's just an illusion, like a, like a mirage in the desert. Right? Because whenever we get that next thing that we really needed, the missing piece that, that was supposed to kind of complete us, uh, that, that was going to make us content, we find life, as the article says, wearing essentially the same tints as before. It's the epidemic of discontent. And we're all victims of it, I think. And, of course, one of the things about people who are discontent, who are dissatisfied, uh, is that they find it very hard to be generous. Because if you live with this constant feeling that you're somehow missing out in life, uh, it's really hard for you to want to give anything away. You you say to yourself, look, you you just don't understand. I really can't be generous. I'm already missing this and this and this, let alone if I start giving things away. I'm going to have all these holes in my life. So ultimately, discontent kind of paralyzes generosity. And contentment empowers generosity. And that's what this passage is about in one way or another. Contentment in Christ empowering gospel generosity. Right? The, the more content you are in your relationship with Christ, uh, the, the more uh, that knowing Christ is enough for you, as we, as we heard from Paul last week, uh, the more you'll be empowered to give generously for the sake of the gospel of Christ. That, that's my main kind of idea today. So let, let's have a look at the passage in verse 10. Uh, there's an outline of my sermon on the inside of the Connect card, if that's useful. Uh, but you see there in verse 10 and verses 14 to 16, Uh, There's a whole lot of talk about Paul's joy at the Philippians' support, at their generosity. So in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. 
Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And so Paul's filled with this real joy because the Philippians have generously supported his ministry. Although you'll notice that it's been a while since they've been able to do that. Right? He says, at last you've renewed your concern for me. And now we know from back in chapter 1 that the Philippians were among the very first churches to support Paul. You might remember he said there had been his partners in the gospel from the very first day until now. So they were there from the beginning. And more recently, we know in chapter 2 that uh, the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus, that's that long, tricky name, uh, Epaphroditus to support Paul while he was in prison. Uh, so, but it seems that between those two instances, for whatever reason, uh, there's been a gap in the Philippians' support. Uh, so when Paul received this latest support from Epaphroditus, he's filled with joy. They've renewed their concern for him. Uh, and notice who he rejoices in. Right? He rejoices first and foremost, not in the Philippians, but in the Lord. Right? He knows that the Philippians' generous support of him is empowered, it's motivated by their experience of their Lord's generosity, his grace poured out on their life. That's what's motivating them to be generous in their support of Paul. So Paul rejoices greatly in the Lord. But why is it that these gospel partners that that Paul seems to love so much, that were eager to support him from the very first day, why is it that there was this massive gap uh, in their support? It seems like Paul always knew that they cared about him. He says, uh, you see there, he says they just didn't have the opportunity to support him. Like, why not? Well, I think the best explanation is that Paul asked them to stop supporting him. I say that because we know from other places in the New Testament that when Paul received money from his other church plants, say, for example, in Thessalonica, his opponents started accusing him of being lazy. Right? They said to Paul, Paul, look, you're sponging off your churches. And so Paul didn't want there to be any illusion about why he was preaching the gospel. He wanted his motivations to be clear and pure. So perhaps in response to those accusations, he said to the Philippians, look, why don't you stop supporting me? Like, I just want this to be really clear. Uh, but now the, the circumstances have changed. Right? The Philippians have heard that, that Paul's, uh, he's nearing the end of his ministry, that they've heard that he's imprisoned in Rome. Uh, and so the Philippians, his dear partners in the gospel, think, finally, this is our opportunity to get back behind Paul. Uh, they're eager. And so they send Epaphroditus to support Paul, and, and he receives their gifts with joy. Uh, we see that joy again. I have a look in verses 14 to 16. Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. The word joy is not in there, but I think that's the vibe of that paragraph, isn't it? Like Paul says in verse 14, it's so good of you. It's wonderful that you've been willing to, to share with me in my troubles. Either that word share is the same as the word partner in chapter 1. Right, Paul's, that what brings Paul so much joy here is that the Philippians have been ready to, to really identify with him, to, to share with him, to partner with him, and not just in the good times, but in his troubles. And that's because they share his passion for seeing the gospel advance throughout the world. So they've been willing to stand by his side in that, uh, to support him in that. I noticed three things about uh, the way Paul talks about their support. Right, three things in verses 14 to 16. First, uh, the Philippians supported Paul 
even in the early days of their acquaintance with the gospel. I think Paul's saying that they supported him pretty much as soon as they became Christians. He went to Philippi, preached the gospel. Uh, they started supporting him, Paul says, when he was in Thessalonica, right? which was, if you read Acts, that's the very next city Paul went to. Right? The Philippians knew that through Paul's ministry and his preaching of the gospel, they had received incredible blessings. And so straight away, with no delay, they gave generously to support his work and the spread of the gospel. And now I only draw attention to this, but because I, I think we sometimes think that, that giving money to gospel work is something we'll sort out later on, something that mature Christians do. Uh, perhaps when uh, you've graduated from uni or got a better job or the kids have left home or you've paid off the mortgage or, or you've done some, a bunch of other things that you, you might want to do. Uh, but that, that's not the Philippians. Right, from the early days of their acquaintance with the gospel, when they very first became Christians, they worked out what they could give, cheerfully, generously, sacrificially, for the work of the gospel. And they gave it. So if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're a regular here at Darabin Presbyterian, if you haven't already done so, let me encourage you to work out what you can start giving to support the work of the gospel in and through our church. Right? As someone who's received the blessings of the gospel, oh, I think it's a, a fair response that you would be generous in your support of the spread of the gospel. Certainly that's what the Philippians did. Second, notice that the Philippians supported Paul uh, more than once, we're told. It seems that they supported him quite a bit in those early days. Uh, then there was this gap, uh, and then they've supported him again. So they've supported him lots of times. right? It's not like the, the Philippians kind of heard a missionary spot one day at church and uh, felt a bit guilty that they hadn't supported and sort of got out the spare change that they had in their wallet and kind of went, oh, here you go, you know, appease my guilt and there you go, I'm supporting uh, Paul's mission work. No, 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 the Philippians were really committed to Paul. right? That they, as they had opportunity, they supported his ministry uh, consistently, regularly. Now, that's one of the reasons why we're asking you to think about uh, those generous giving slips. Right? We're asking you just to, to prayerfully consider what you can give regularly and consistently to support the work of the gospel. We're asking you to pray about that as an individual, as a family, and to lock it in as a regular commitment. And we think that's a godly thing to do, to support the work of the gospel regularly and consistently. And third, notice that the Philippians were the only Macedonian church to share with Paul in both giving, uh, receiving and giving. They did, they did both. Right, so, so once again, it's clear that the Philippians kind of got it really quickly. They understood that they'd received much through Paul's ministry, more than they could perhaps have ever hoped or imagined. The incredible blessings of the gospel, that knowing that they're forgiven, that they're clothed in Jesus' perfection, that they're loved, that they're God's precious children, they received all those incredible blessings. And so having received those blessings, they gave generously. They shared with Paul, in, not just in receiving, but in giving too. But notice the other churches in Macedonia didn't do that, at least initially. The church in Thessalonica, in Corinth, they failed to give. They were quite happy to receive the blessings of the gospel, but it took them a, a little bit to get going in giving to see the spread of the gospel. So let me ask, and perhaps this hopefully I'll ask graciously, not too blunt, 
But I wonder uh, if you're more like the Philippians or these other churches in Macedonia. Uh, If you're a regular part of our church here and uh, you're a Christian, you've understood the, the grace of the gospel, God's generosity to you, I hope as you're a part of our church, you feel that you're regularly uh, receiving the, the, the blessings of the gospel. So are you giving to, to see the gospel spread? I ask that in part because of my own experience in becoming a Christian. I, for a long time after I became a Christian, I, I sat in churches week after week and I was really blessed to share in the blessings of the gospel over and over again. But to be honest, I never gave anything to support the work of the gospel until someone spoke to me about it and I was convicted that I probably should share with my church, not just in receiving, but in giving. And I probably should stop hiding behind the fact that I was giving. I mean, I was giving time. I was giving my talents. But I did have money to give and I just kind of had to choose between maybe going on a cheaper phone plan or something to free up some money. So maybe that's you, right? Maybe you've got to start sharing with us here Uh, in both receiving and giving. So Paul's filled with joy at the Philippians' generous support. Uh, That's uh, that's those verses. In verses 11 to 13, though, uh, we see that even though he's filled with joy, uh, it's not because he needs their support. That's a bit weird, isn't it? In fact, he gives us three reasons why he's been perfectly content without their support. At first, look in verse 11, he says, I didn't need your generosity uh, because I've learned to be content in Christ. He's content. Notice twice in these verses, Paul says he's learnt to be content. It's something he's learnt. It's not something that came naturally to him or to us. It's something we have to learn and grow in and understand more and more. But then, look in verse 12, Paul says, I've learnt the secret of being content. It's not that this idea of being content in Christ is something that's just intellectual. You're just kind of educated into it. No, it's a secret, it's a mystery. Because look at verse 13, uh, the secret of being content is being in a relationship with Christ. It's Christ who strengthens Paul. Being in a relationship with Christ is not something that you can just kind of educate yourself into. You do learn a bunch of things, but God has to open your eyes to to see it. So Paul didn't need the Philippian support because he's learnt the secret of being content in Christ. That's the first reason. Uh, Second, in verse 12, uh, he didn't need their support. Uh, Because as someone who's content in Christ, he's learnt to adapt to all life's circumstances. Have a look there. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know uh, what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being uh, content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So whatever life throws Paul's way, uh, a time of need, a time of plenty, hungry, well-fed, he can adapt. He can deal with it whatever circumstances he's in. And that's different. I think that's different to us. Maybe I'll just speak for myself, but certainly for me, so often my sense of contentment goes up and down with my circumstances. It's kind of attached to my circumstances. So if, for example, we like you, we, if we like our job... If you like the home we live in, if you like the course you're studying, if the bank balance is looking okay... Maybe the kids are going well at school. Uh, if you're feeling healthy, right, if kind of everything's going well in life, you, you feel content. 
But of course, often in life, things aren't going that well. And in those moments, we struggle to be content because our contentment's more attached to our circumstances than it is to Christ. You can see how Paul's different. He's saying that that's, that's really not how my life works out. Somehow, over time, Paul's learned to be completely content simply with Christ. Knowing Christ is enough for him. It's all he needs. Like he said last week, he knows the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, so he considers everything else garbage. So he's able to adapt to all these different circumstances in life. Because in verse 13, have a look there, uh, I touched on it before, he's dependent on Christ. He says, I can do all this through him, that's Christ, uh, who gives me strength. Paul doesn't need the Philippian support because he's always had Christ's support. Christ himself strengthens Paul. And now lots of people today uh, kind of twist this verse. It's a bit of a favourite on the kind of Kurong bookmark or magnet on the fridge, isn't it, uh, this verse? Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The NIV's changed the uh, translation a little. Uh, but the, the, the argument goes something like, you know, well, Paul says I can do all this, everything through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, so why can't you heal the sick or cast out demons or raise the dead? Rather, that's generally how it goes in my experience. Christ could do those things. So, so why can't you? And now, whatever you think about those things, I'm not going into a kind of discursus on you know, charismatic gifts or all those kind of things, uh, but it's obvious that that's not what Paul's talking about here. Is it? Like this passage is about material needs. It's not about Paul doing miraculous works in Christ's name. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I can do all this. What's all this? It's physically need or, or having plenty. I can do the whole gamut of life circumstances, Paul's saying, because in depending on Christ, I'm content. And I think we find this idea of depending on Christ to be pretty hard. In part, uh, because in my experience, it's much easier to depend on Christ uh, when you're in a time of need. Right? It's almost like you, you reach the end of your own strength and you're kind of forced to depend on Christ. And I'm going to say, like, we do have times of need, but for most of us here, not, not all of us certainly, but for most of us, uh, we're more in the category of plenty. We're pretty comfortable most of the time. We're not so conscious of our needs. So our issue is guarding ourselves against finding our contentment in our stuff, in money, in possessions, in homes, in experiences. I know that's not for all of us, but I think that's a fair percentage of us. So that like Paul, even in our times of plenty, we find our contentment first and foremost in Christ, not in our stuff. If that happens, the more that happens, the more we'll be able to rejoice like Paul. Paul's joy is different, isn't it? Because he rejoices when he receives God's good gifts, but he doesn't really need them to be content. We're not so much like that. We rejoice because we need them to be content. But Paul rejoices. And so if God gives us a job, for example, or a better paying job, we'll rejoice. Of course we will. That's a wonderful thing. But if he doesn't, we'll be content in Christ. If God enables us to do that extra course that we want to do or to travel overseas, we'll rejoice. It's a great thing to see the sights of the world. But if he doesn't, we'll be content in Christ because knowing Christ is enough for us, you see. 
if God blesses us with a nice car or house or, or marriage or family or, or children, we'll rejoice. But if he doesn't, over time, I pray we'll be content in Christ. Because in knowing Christ, we're, we're satisfied. We know the surpassing worth of knowing him. It's everything we need. You see, the more we're content in Christ, the more we'll be generous with what God gives us. We won't feel like we've got to hoard everything away as if it's our only source of contentment. You see, we've got to cling to it. Instead, we'll be able to give it away because we've got everything we need in Christ already. So why not give away our time, our talents, our treasure? We don't need it. We need what we need to survive, of course. So if Paul doesn't need the Philippian support, why does he ask for it? I think he explains that in verses 17 to 19. He says, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So why does Paul ask them to give? Because he wants them to experience the blessing of giving. I think that's a summary. He talks about that blessing in three ways. First, in verse 17, uh, giving is a blessing because when you give, you, get, you build up credits in your heavenly account, Paul says. I'm saying in a spiritual sense, uh, every Christian has their own heavenly account. A bit like Jesus when he talks about treasure, building up treasures in heaven. So, so Paul's saying that the gifts that we give now, particularly the, the gifts we give to support the work of the gospel, are, are like investments in that heavenly account. So the way Paul sees it is that it's loving for him to call the Philippians to give because he's giving them the opportunity to use their money in such a way that they build up treasures in heaven rather than on earth, to build up credits in their heavenly accounts. Now, you might think, oh, that's a bit of a swifty on his part and you know, surely he just wants to get his hands on their money. But no, I think that's what he's saying. Second, in verse 18, Paul says it's a a blessing to give uh, because when you give, you know that God's pleased with you. That's simplistic, but look at how Paul describes their gifts, the Philippians' gifts. He says they're an acceptable sacrifice, uh, they're a fragrant offering, uh, they're something that is pleasing to God. You might remember in Romans 12, Paul uh, says that in response to God's generosity, his grace to us in view of his mercy, uh, we should give our entire life to him. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that, that's an, an, an act of worship that is pleasing to God. So here he's saying that the act of, of giving some money, which is just one small part of our life, is an act of worship that's pleasing to God. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. And that's a blessing, I think, to know that you're doing something with your money that is pleasing your Heavenly Father. Uh, the third blessing in verse 19, uh, Paul uh, talks about the blessing of knowing God's abundant provision. So there he's assuring the Philippians that, that just as God had met all his needs as he engaged in gospel work, uh, so also God would meet all their needs as they supported his gospel work. You see, that they might have been worried that, is God going to keep providing for me? Can I, can I keep giving generously to support the work of the gospel? And Paul says, don't worry about that. And notice that he says God won't be stingy in meeting their needs. Right? He'll meet their needs uh, according to what? 
according to his bare pantry? No, uh, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Uh, God is not short on provisions. Well, the picture is that God's got this heavenly treasure house, a glorious and unlimited resource, and the people like the Philippians who have access to it are those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, we heard this last week, those who've placed their confidence in Christ, their faith in Christ. So spiritually speaking, they're united to Christ. They're in Christ. So Paul's encouragement to the Philippians is that they can give knowing that they will never miss out. That's for you too. You'll never miss out. You'll never be shortchanged. I'm not saying you won't be poor in in physical terms. You you might be poor. But as someone who's in Christ, uh, you live your place, uh, you you live your life in the place of every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1, you are in Christ. You've received and will receive God's abundant provision. And that's wonderful. Uh, finally, verses uh, 20 to 23, Paul tells, it, uh, tells us again what his ultimate desire is in all this. Have a look in verse 20. He says, uh, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So his desire is that God would be glorified in every way, through all people, in all ages, forever and ever. That's what Paul wants, that God to be glorified. He sends greetings from a bunch of people, from the brothers who are with him. That's probably his ministry team. Uh, from all the other uh, Christians in Rome, that's where he's in prison. And finally, from other uh, Christians in Caesar's household. That, that's probably uh, some Christians who worked for Caesar but sometimes visited Philippi on business. You remember, Philippi is a, a colony of the Roman Empire, so they would be connected. Uh, but notice verse 23. Right, Paul ends his letter by praying that the grace of Christ, right, the grace that, that the Philippians have already experienced, that that grace would be present with them. Why? That the the, the grace of God would continue to strengthen them and sustain them and and transform them in an ongoing sense. And on the back of what he's just said, what better way to bring glory to God? Verse 20. What better way to show that you have experienced God's grace, his, his costly generosity, than to give generously so that others might know his grace, just as the Philippians have been doing. So that others might join you in bringing glory to God, which is Paul's ultimate desire. Giving generously to support the work of the gospel, as the Philippians have just done, as Paul's just been filled with joy uh, uh, at their giving, uh, that is a great way to bring glory to God. And that is Paul's ultimate desire. Uh, So, I started by talking about that epidemic of discontent. And I do think all of us are victims of that from childhood. Uh, It starts young. I was reading something uh, recently uh, where the author was describing the two laws of raising children. Two laws of raising children. Uh, The first law is that no toy in the universe is more interesting or more desirable than the one that the other child in the room has. That's the the first law of raising children. So uh, this child over here, they might have 10 toys, 20 toys, 30 toys, incredible toys, everything that opens and shuts, but they will not be satisfied or content until they have the the toy that the other child has. This is the beginnings of the epidemic of discontent. That's the first law of raising children. The second law uh, of raising children is that no matter where you are in the world, uh, perhaps it's Disneyland or uh, a beach or an amazing adventure playground, uh, no matter where you are, uh, there'll probably be some other place that your children would rather be. I think that's true of adults probably as well. 
Why did this epidemic of discontent, it starts from when we're very young. And it gets worse as we get older, I think, but we're more subtle and sophisticated, but it's perhaps even more deeply ingrained. I think we do try to convince ourselves that we'll be content when we're married or, or if we were able to have children, we'd be content. We'd be content if we could just earn that 5% more that each year when we get that promotion. Or if, uh, we'll be content. This was one for me. I'll be content when I can just finally be in full-time ministry. What a ridiculous thought. Right, you'll be content when you've graduated, when you've uh, finally bought a house. Well, you'll be content when that happens, right? But, but we're not. We're not content when those things happen. Right? If your contentment is attached to the circumstances of your life, the stuff of this world, uh, you will always be discontent. Your circumstances will ne- always change and they will pretty much never be ideal. And you'll never have enough stuff. And if you do have lots of stuff, it won't be the right stuff. And I think if you live with that constant sense of being discontent, you'll find it really hard to be generous. You'll hold on to everything you have because you'll be so worried that if you don't do that, you're going to miss out. How can you possibly let go of it? But what Paul's saying here is if you're content in Christ, if you know that as someone who is in Christ, you have treasures that can never be taken from you. Treasures that that money can never buy. Treasures like like knowing that you are loved and forgiven and redeemed. You are completely accepted by God both now and forever because of Christ and what he's done. If those treasures really grip your heart, if you understand them and you're content with them, if you're satisfied with them, you'll want to give generously. You'll be able to give generously and you'll want to, right? So that others can experience the joy of those treasures too. It's the joy of being content in Christ, of experiencing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ that empowers gospel generosity over and over again. Not just in money, not just in treasures, but in time and talents too. It's hard to keep giving. We sometimes grow resentful. But if you're content and filled with joy in Christ, you'll be, able to, you'll be empowered to keep giving. I'm not saying it won't be a struggle. But your contentment in Christ does empower gospel generosity. Now let me pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, we thank you for the way we see uh, joy and sacrifice uh, weaved throughout the whole letter. Uh, Father, we pray for ourselves, for our own hearts, Uh, You know the ways in which we are discontent, uh, the things that we think will complete us instead of you. Uh, Father, please help us to turn away from those things and to deepen our knowledge of you, uh, uh, to pursue you, to, uh, to seek greater depths of contentment in you. Help us to learn that, as Paul says, the secret of being content in Christ. And we pray that as that happens, uh, you would release our fingers uh, from our time and talents and treasure uh, that we might be able to give generously for the cause of the gospel. Uh, In Christ's name, amen.